Uh, well, good morning, everyone. Uh, we're in our fifth week in a series on the church. We've been, we've been studying the, the nature and the practice of the bride of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ. I told you the first week that uh, the, this, when I was doing this in graduate school, we were studying a class, it's, the fancy words, ecclesiology, it, it absolutely changed my life. And it's, today's topic is certainly one of the consequences for a life changed. When I changed my understanding of what was most important, that's what it comes down to, what was most important in my life changed when I studied what was real about the body of Christ. When I studied the bride, when I got started, I gave nothing to the church, not a dime. I gave the church a lot of time. I had some, some of that, and so I did. And then eventually I would give as little as I possibly could. Then we gave 10%. It's called the tithe. But I want you to notice there was a pronoun change from I to we, and so I married into that. And so we would give uh, 10%. And now, now we give as much as we possibly can to the, to the bride that Jesus loves. What happened was I fell in love with what God loves. And so it wasn't a change so much in, you know, finances. It was a, it was a change in heart and perspective of what is real and what I should love I, and what I should care about, what is real. I, I, I found a, another way of looking at it is I found a better lover, a lover that would love me in a way that would cause me to grow and develop and become whole. The church. The church. Jesus calls the church his bride. And there is nothing more valuable on this planet to God than the church. There is no thing that has priority in the heart of Jesus than the church. God cherishes his church, and protects his church. It is what he looks upon in creation and says, that's mine. It says that Jesus will come back. Do you know why? To get his bride. That's how important it is to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The church the bride expressed right here is a local expression of the universal church. You want to become a member of this church? You can do that today. There's a, there's a church membership class at 115. Grab some lunch across the street in our office building, and you can do that. I know some of you have been thinking about that. When the church was brand new, very young, its members didn't know what to do about giving. And so th there's a very short couple sentences in the book of Corinthians. Clearly, Paul, a lot of churches were having difficulties with it. They just didn't know. It was new. They were, they were babies. And so Paul is writing the Corinthians, and he's telling them, hey, look, I've already talked to the Galatian church, and, I, and I'm writing you so you guys can help the Jerusalem church. And so this is, this is like how you should go about. So it's a very practical three sentences uh, it's, come, it's, it's straightforward. It's pretty simple. 
answers questions we might have. I want you to keep a close eye on the second sentence, verse 2, when we read this together, okay? 1 Corinthians 16, the first sentence. Now, uh, about this is Paul writing. Now, about the collection for the Lord's people. Uh, do what I told the Galatians church to do as well, okay? On the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside, some, uh, set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collection will be, have to be made. And then when I arrive, I'll give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send, send uh, them with your gift to the Jerusalem church. And so there it is. In those few sentences, there's a lot of answers to questions we might have, and so I'll just go through those rather rapidly. The first one is, is why should we give? And the first answer to that is, it's an expression of worship. He says, on the first day of the week. And that's when the church met. It began very early on meeting on Sunday because that was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And so on the first day of the week, the church began to meet. And as part of worship, they would take an offering. And so as we kind of pass the plate here, they would, would do that as well. It's been happening for 2,000 years that way. Although things have somewhat changed in modern day, when we pass the plate in here, it is somewhat symbolic because it is worshipful. Some churches have quit passing plates sometimes a while ago because they didn't want to uh, cause someone to be uncomfortable, you know, that might be visiting. We're still, that, that wouldn't be a motive for us. We make people uncomfortable all the time. Uh, but uh, there is a very small percentage of our income that comes from passing the plate. We do it still for at least a couple of reasons. One, it's, it's symbolic. It's, it's a symbolic thing. It's still kind of acknowledging that this is an aspect of worship for us. And, and while most people are giving electronically, which actually does help us, it helps the accounting department make it easier for them, that the principle is that he would say is it's, it's an idea of regular giving, a, a planned, regular strategy of giving. And so the reason we still do that is, is for that reason, is to show that. And the other reason is as long as there's this cute little former Baptist over here that still writes checks and puts them into little tithing envelopes, <clears throat> we're going to be passing the plate. Okay? That's the other reason we still do that. The point is this. It's an act of worship. Giving is not something we have to do. It is something we want to do. It is something we get to do. It's not to give so that God will like us more. It is an expression of overwhelming gratitude. It's being with God, not for God or so that God will like us. The next uh, question that this passage answers is who? Who gives? And he says, every child of the king, let each of you set apart a certain sum of money each person. And in the Corinthian church, there were, I mean, the whole economic scale was in there. There were some people in, in poverty, and there were some people that were extremely wealthy, and a lot of people in between. And he just says, yeah, sure, everybody gives. And the next question is, where do we give? And I would say, based on this passage, you, it is first to the local church. This is, they are giving to the Jerusalem church, you know, through the Corinthian church. And the idea here is it's, it the, it's talking about the money is going to be used for the saints by giving in the church. So in, in summary, it's, it's a regular giving to the church, and the church hopes to find various ministries to scatter that, those resources around. A great example of that is 
here at Grace just, what, two weeks ago, right? Everybody gives regularly, and we have a line-item budget for mercy and even uh, tragedies in life. And so ADRN needed some help, Austin Disaster Relief Network, right, for the local floods. And so, Grace, you guys, we wrote a check for $20,000 to them. They like us for that. They like us a lot. We're on their speed dial, and they're on our speed dial. That's an amazing ministry that serves us well, and we help them and serve them as well. That's an example of let's give here so we can give strategically other places. And the reason I say that is because probably close to the last 90 years, it's a rather new phenomenon in church history because of so many uh, what are called parachurch organizations. They're wonderful. Don't misunderstand. But sometimes what happens, what creeps into the souls of, of, of Christians is because there's so many options out there and because we're American and individuals and individualism and independence, sometimes it, there's still this, it's my money and I'll give where and when I want. And that, that, is, that attitude is contrary to everything that this passage is talking about where you're giving and entrusting and, and a group of people that will oversee this. And so I'm not suggesting at all there's uh, anything wrong with giving outside the church because there are some fabulous parachurch ministries, but this is my strong belief is those are bridesmaids, and you give to the bride, you honor the bride first, and then the bridesmaids. That's how we've done it as a family, but also as a church itself. They serve the church, and the church looks for opportunities to help them. That's our experience. I think it's a biblical expression of that. I know some of you have background in churches that misused resources, and maybe you've just read the paper where that happens. And so if, if you are attending a church where you can't trust the leadership and you, you know, you're nervous about giving, I would suggest that you don't give to that church. Don't give to a church if you can't trust the leadership. But there's a lot more in that story. Don't go to that church. <laughs> Don't even go to a church where you don't trust the leadership. I mean, see, there's a bigger problem. Why are you even attending? So find a church where you trust the leadership and then give to that church and trust that leadership. That's what happens in the Bible. That's what's expected. And, you know, that's the way you should live. The next question it asks, it answers, hopefully, is, is how much does a person give? And in, in light of the fact that I told you that the people had different income levels and, and those sorts of things, it was great that uh, Paul didn't say, okay, look, everybody gives $10,000, for example. Well, that's not fair because $10,000 for some people is an impossible sum of money, and for others, it's, it's petty cash. And so Paul is leaving this to, he says, in keeping with your income, in keeping with your income. And it's probable that Paul, because he's Jewish and because it's been a pattern in the Old Testament before there was Israel, in the Old Testament when there's Israel, it is acknowledged in the Gospels and it seems to carry all the way through. We have records of into the 400s, okay, church leaders saying the tithe or 10% is the beginning point of giving to the local church. 10% or what's called the tithe is the beginning point of people giving to uh, the place that they call home. And, and sometimes for some people's lives, it takes some time to get to the place where they can give regularly a 10% amount. Our personal experience was that 
you know, the spring of life, it's cold. It's Barton Springs cold. And we did not walk slowly into that. We just jumped in when we realized we shouldn't be giving 10%. We jumped in. We were never poor in our uh, married life, but we just thought, let's just go. We have great God stories to that. Some people have those stories as well. But the idea here is, is this is bringing it to this beginning place at 10%. Now, the purpose of tithing is this. It is for our soul's goodness. It is for our soul's health. It, like we were singing just now, it's your breath in our lungs that we worship and praise. And so throughout the Bible, you'll see that the reason a person is generous is for the sake of their soul's health. It, it is both a cause and effect of a healthy soul. Before there was Israel, Abraham had to rescue his nephew and went up against a confederation of kings. He was, he, he was the underdog. He should have lost miserably, and he won, and he knew it was a God thing that he won. And so one of his early expressions right after the war, when they're all kind of getting together, he says, I, I've got to worship God by giving 10% of this. And so that's the first time you'll see in the Old Testament where that's kind of a thing, 10%. But this idea that generosity is actually the, a cure to materialism or a cure to greed is nothing that's unique to the Bible. You can see secular studies where people that are compulsive about, uh, about financial security, the counseling is you need to let this go. The more you set it free, the more you are free. The, the problem with the American dream is, it's in contrast to what the Bible teaches, the American dream says, you know, if you make $100,000, you need to budget in such a way as to live on $105,000. <laughs> the Bible says, look, if you make a certain amount of money and you make more money, it, you, you might consider, yes, increasing some things that you might need, but it's also an opportunity to increase in how you share in the body of Christ. The theme in the Bible is this, godliness with contentment is great gain. Think about that. Godliness, becoming like Christ in all of life, okay? With contentment, I can live anywhere or everywhere, is great gain. And so the idea of, of being like Christ in all of life and then giving generously first to the bride, then for opportunities in, the, in, in various bridesmaids, and then enjoy all the rest. I mean, there's, there's plenty of passages in the Bible that you are to enjoy the blessings that God gives you. So, yeah, have a great life with that. There's so much in the Bible about what we do with our resources, and I think it's because it's, it can be really a, a big-time heart issue. It certainly was with me. It was the single biggest thing in my life for decades. And one of the things that comes up in the 23,000 or so uh, sentences about this is all the rewards that are associated with people having a healthy soul and becoming generous. And I wanted to just tell you about six rewards. Okay? Those are the simple things we just looked at. Now I wanted to show you six rewards about, about becoming generous. This could be, there's still time to be the most generous year in your life. The one that is repetitive throughout the Bible is the idea that you're being blessed, that you, the blessings that come. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is showing, he's saying, look at my life and then look at the principle about how I'm generous. He's talking about with his actions and, and his finances. He says, in, every, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Okay? Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, who said, it is more blessed 
to give than it is to receive. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And the word blessed, I know it's a spiritual like cliche now, but back then it wasn't. He's calling on the greatest sermon ever given, the Sermon on the Mount. And the, the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount is called the Beatitudes, and that's where you might know the phrases, some of the phrases like blessed are those, or blessed are the meek, they'll inherit the earth. And the whole purpose, the big idea of the greatest sermon ever given by Jesus Christ himself, who comes from heaven to earth, here's the big idea. You're getting it all wrong. <laughs> he, like, I've, I've been to heaven. I was here at creation. You, you're, you're like living in a cave. You're living in Plato's cave. Everything's a shadow land to you. It's one-dimensional. I want to show you what life is real, what, what is real in life, three-dimensional life, outside the cave, in the brightness of life. You guys are trapped in the matrix. And so he goes through and he says, no, this is what matters. You're not a, you're not a body with a soul. You're a soul with a body. You guys are like insanely worried about temporal things and, and forgetting about eternal things. And so the word blessed in that great sermon is a way of saying, Aristotle would say, the good life. This is the way you were meant to be. This is good soul life. And he's saying the good life, the blessed person understands that, you know, when you get stuff, you get, you get a little buzz, but it doesn't last. You live the good life when you, really, when you understand what he's saying here. It's more blessed to give than receive. Something is well in your soul when you give, and you know that. My father-in-law was, uh, belonged to Alcoholics Anonymous for decades, and he became the wise sage in that group because he was wise. And he was a great student of the Bible, and I think the Sermon on the Mount was one of his favorite passages and a number of people would regularly come to him for advice, particularly when they were feeling shame or defeated and wanted to give up. And his most common advice was this. It's very interesting in light of our subject here. He would tell many people this. Okay, I understand how depressed and despairing you might be. I want you to do this. Go be generous anonymously. And one example was just buy a beautiful bouquet of flowers, take it to a nursing home, leave it at the front desk, and tell them, give it to whoever needs it the most, and then get back to me. At his funeral, people were, it was mentioned on the podium, and then it was told to family members during the reception, and it said, wow, it completely changed my life, being, becoming generous, looking at other people, being content it was more blessed to give than to receive. It's true. A second reward that comes when you become a generous person is freedom. This is certainly the case in my life. This is the one that makes the most uh, difference for me is because I was so focused on financial uh, stability. <laughs> I didn't have any resources, so it was the hope of financial resources. I became a slave to those desires, and what was originally just a hopeful thing or a thing that would be enjoyed, it became an obsession, and then it became an idol. And what happens here in this context is, is it, it's the cure. It's, again, like I said before, it's, it's, the, sim, it's the cure and the expression of it. And it, this is my favorite one because as I began to give, I 
what I was giving away was the power and the fear of financial instability. It didn't have that anymore. Jesus says, how do you give? You know, give the way you get. And so he gives an example of this when he's sending these guys out. In, in Matthew, he says, and then Jesus sent the 12 out. He says, here's the way to do this. Go to the lost sheep of Israel, and as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal this, look at all this giving. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out the demons. Freely you have received, so freely give. How do you give? Give the way you got. Just give it away. Another reward that we see here is joy. Joy overflowing. Listen to the story here. This will give you some context. This is the climax of a book called Chronicles, First Chronicles, and it ends with the guy of David raising money to build the temple, going from the tabernacle to the temple of God. And, and then the leaders are asked to give first, and then the people watch, and this is what happens. Everyone who had, pre had precious possessions gave them to the treasury of the temple of Yahweh. And the people rejoiced, there's joy, rejoy, rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had, they had given freely and wholeheartedly to Yahweh. David, the king, also rejoiced greatly. Joy is breaking out all over the place because people were freely giving extravagantly to Yahweh. And so David is joyful. The people are joyful. God is joyful. God has wired us. Okay, the, outside the matrix, in the light, the way we're designed, our souls, the way our souls are designed, we're to give, to be generous. Our bodies react to it. As a matter of fact, when you give, when you give your time, when you give your money, you can, you can draw blood and science guys, they see dopamines and serotonin and endorphins. They're called the happy hormones. They run wild inside of you. It's called helper's high. They have found that if, when they can get people helping, they'll get kind of this buzz. And if you draw the blood out of Scrooge, you'll see that they have stress hormones running rampant. So think about this. God has designed us physically that we literally cannot give without getting something, <laughs> a helper's high, some kind of something, because that's what he wants us to do. It's, in, it's, it's for our own joy. Uh, once uh, you get to be God's instrument, you get to be a tool in God's hand. This is one of the rewards. If you could just imagine this, this is figurative language. We'll look at a proverb here. But it's God is a little bit frustrated and could use a little help. That's what, it, what the passage is saying. In 1917 of the book of Proverbs, whoever is kind to the poor lends to Yahweh, and he will reward them for what they have done. So if just, just get over the, the idea that God would be indebted to us. Okay, that's figurative language. But if you could appreciate the story and the visual here, that's what he's trying to teach us. That God is on the scene in some kind of context, and he's like, oh, I left my wallet in my other pants. Could, could you lend me some money to help this poor person? I'll pay you back uh, and reward you. That's what he's saying is happening here. That on that day, on that day, you have that conversation face to face with your king. He's going to say, oh, look at all these IOUs, all these times. I wanted to help the poor and I wasn't able to do it. And, I, and then there you were. So I got a 
I got to pay you back. And with interest, it says, and he will reward you. When, you. when you give to the poor, whoever is kind to the poor lends to Jehovah, and he will reward them. Another reward that we get to enjoy is generational blessing. We get to pass this down. Look what it says in Psalms. I was young, and now I'm old, and yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. Here's what righteous people do. They are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be a blessing. Not their children will be blessed because they're generous parents. Their children will be a blessing. Their children will, will carry on this idea. It's, it's obvious, like for the most part, selfish parents, they tend to produce selfish children, but generous parents tend to produce generous children. I mean, why does this, why does this happen? How does this work? I'll tell you how, is the little kids, they watch and they, and they see, and then they see, they see a couple parents understanding God's design, not in, not in the matrix, but outside the matrix, outside the cave where it's bright and three-dimensional and colorful, and they go, wow, that's what, it's, that's what we were meant to do. And they watch that. They look at the joy that happens in their parents' life. They get involved a couple times, and they get that the helper high, and they say, you know what? The helper high is a lot better than the taker's buzz. And then it passes on. Generational, generational blessings happen. Last one, this is, this is a fun one for me. I didn't know how to phrase it. This is my experience. It's the only way I know how to say it, okay? Playing a game with God. You're just kind of playing a game with God. Because, and I, I say this with a tongue-in-cheek because this is a very unusual passage. This is a unique passage where God's going to talk to the nation of Israel and, and, and reprimand them for disobeying in the area of giving. But instead of coming back and saying, okay, here's what ought to happen, he begs them to live in obedience. He dares them. He's playing a game with them. Look what happens. Malachi 3. Will mere mortals rob, Bob, rob God? Nah. Yeah. Yeah, you rob me. And you ask, how did we rob you? Tithes and offerings. You know, now you're under a curse, the whole nation, because you've been robbing me. Now, with that condemnation in mind, here's what he says. He says, could you just try to obey me? I dare you to play by the rules. Just get in the game of generosity, would you? Watch how he uses his formal, proper name in this great challenge, in this dare. He says, bring the whole tithe into, into the storehouse, and, and then there will be food in my house. Test me on this, says Yahweh Almighty, and see if I'm not going to throw the floodgates open of heaven and then pour out so much blessing that you're not even going to have room enough to store it. How is that even going to happen? He says, here, I'll prevent the pests from devouring your crops. The vines uh, and the vines in your fields, they're not going to drop the fruit before it's ripe, says Yahweh Almighty, then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be delightful, the delightful land, says Yahweh Almighty. Now, I acknowledge this is a promise to the nation of Israel, not to us, but principally speaking, it is to the church because this is the nature of who Yahweh is. He loves blessing people that obey him, and he loves other people watching him bless people that obey him. He, he, he wants us 
to get inside what is the real, what is what really exists. And there's this, there's this unseen jet stream of God's will in the universe. And when we tap into that, we can enjoy the power of God involved in our resources and in our finances. It's not, it's not, it's not getting into this unseen jet stream so we can get more stuff. Now you're still talking like you live in the matrix. It's getting up there to enjoy the mystery of the unseen, the things that do matter. And here's why it has, how and why God is up to this, because that's what living with God is all about. That's who he is. He's generous. That's what he does. He's off doing generous stuff. And so getting involved in generosity is, is, is like when you, like when we start reading the script that the director wrote, boy, that's a better, easier way to live, isn't it? That's like following the path that the guide is taking us on. That's an easier way to climb a mountain, isn't it? And so he's wanting us to join him so that we might enjoy being with him. And with him means being involved in seeing all of this happening. Based on scripture, based on a thousand of different stories, and based on our lives, Melinda, and our lives, I can tell you this. This is a fact. You cannot outgive God. He won't let you. It can't happen. If you volunteer your time, he will somehow multiply your time. If you give generously, he will somehow make that work somehow. The kingdom of God has a whole different set of math associated with it. In, 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 in the matrix, it goes like this. You have $100 you, you give $10, you have $90, 90 is less than 100, you lost something. In the real world, where it's, where it's spiritual, in the unseen jet stream, now you're in the, the world of the Spirit of God where souls matter. You, you have 100, you give 10, you have 90 left. 90 with God is so much greater than a hundred without God. He makes things happen. He, he says, trust me, I'll take, I'll mix the insects, won't be on, on your plants. Your fruit won't even hit the ground until you come and pick it. I'm running the entire universe. <laughs> Could you let me into your, your budget? You should, I can do stuff in there. Personally, listen, I, I've, I've purchased two houses. We've owned two houses in 30 years, okay? Both houses we shouldn't have been able to buy. It, they had more offers, better offers. Ours were contingent. It, we're, because $90 with God is way more than 100 without him. We have God's stories in our financial lives because we wanted to see how much we could give away. This passage wrecked my whole worldview because... I've known the passage for a number of years, but I had to teach on it a few years ago. And then when I have to teach on stuff, I have to do the stuff before I teach it so I can like, not have a weird conscience up here. So we're, we're raising money for this building, and this is the passage, and I feel like the Lord is telling us we got to go big or go home. And we, 
the Cassidy's needed to give like the, in that Chronicles passage where we should give as a leader in an exemplary manner that would, you know, that would show something. And so it was not a good time for us. You know, we, we had two kids in the magazine and one in the chamber going off to college, two years apart. Boom, boom, boom. We're right in, going into this thing. This building we intentionally overbuilt. We didn't have as many people to give towards it. It was way out of our, our deal, and we'd never raised maybe a third or maybe even a tenth of what we were trying to do here. But it was like, for such a time as this, for such a time as this, and this was the passage that was like, come on, let's go. Let's see who blinks. Let's see if you can outgive me. And we were audited by the IRS all three of those years because we didn't give a lot of money. We gave as much. I mean, we paid for both light bulbs and the projector, I think. But... The percentage of my income, it was so high that it got flagged at such a level that I got a full audit all three years. But here's the best part. The IRS office used to be right over there with the Echelon building, the, the, where the new one is. And I would have to go to that building. By the second year, I figured it out. I just brought all the, the old checks. And the guy said, you can't be giving this amount. And I said, but I am. <laughs> and I'd come out of that IRS building, and I would look at this as it was going up. And I just, I laughed until I cried. I thought, what have you done? What have you done with me? I am in love with a much better lover. I love your bride. I love what she does. And it was like God back in the day was saying, okay, stingy Matt, let's see if you're going to be the one guy that's going to give themselves into financial ruin. Watch, just watch. Played a game of blink with God. Guess who blinked? I blinked. You ever want to stare God down? You're going to love losing. You're going to love it. There's a great story in the Bible. It's not a parable. It happened in real time. Jesus has found himself right in front of the collection offering plates for the temple, and he's, and he's watching. I'll just read it out of Mark. And he, he, he's watching the crowd, and, and many of the rich people threw in large amounts of money. And there was this poor widow that came out. You probably know the story. And put two small copper coins in worth only a few cents. And calling his disciples, now he comes over, right? He's like, he brings them all over. He says, I want to tell you what's happening in real time, in real life. Okay, not in the matrix, outside of the matrix. I want you to see what's real and true. I want you to see what happens when somebody gets in this, in this unseen jet stream of resources. And then he says this, I tell you this, this poor widow has put more into that treasury than all of these. I know what's real. I know what's true. That's true. She did. She gave more because she went all in on trusting God. She gave a widow's might, and we are still talking about it. And that gift, that gift that the king from another world, from heaven, said that counts more, that story has inspired hundreds of millions of people to give. Oh, yeah, she gave more. Jesus said so, and all of church history proves it. It doesn't matter the gift. It matters your heart. That's the issue. He'll take your two fish and your five loaves and he'll do stuff with it. 
But this is the key. This is, this is what I had to go through, okay? I had to learn about the nature of his church and how to love her. I had to fall in love with a better lover. I had to trust God for my finances and, and to be, how to learn how to become the most generous I, I could be. And I remember the day, I remember the day because I thought it was so silly on my part. I remember the day that I went, it is, it is more blessed to give than receive. I could give all the time and never receive. And that would be a true life. I remember it because I was embarrassed that I felt like it wasn't true until just that moment and had been true all along. It is fun to walk with God. It's fun to be involved when he's out there trying to be generous, but I'm the only one with a wallet. It's a pleasure to do that. It is, I get, it is, I'm competitive, but it is a blast to get into a relationship with God where he's daring you and you're taking him up on it. Let's see what happens if you just get in the game. Watch me open the floodgates of heaven. You've got an inventory problem? Wait till, you, wait till you've got an inventory problem on my side of this blessing. You'll be looking for new warehouses. Give me a shot at this. I love that part of the game. He wants us in this game with him. Friends, he wants us to love his bride in every way that we can express that. I think a lot of times that expression is in our resources. That's, that's been true in my life. Let's pray. Yahweh Almighty has arranged all of human history so that at this time, it is the church, his bride, that will be the proclaimer of the manifold wisdom of God, that Yahweh is sovereign king over all of creation. And he wants all created things to know that. He wants the rulers and the authorities of the heavenly realms to know that he is sovereign. His church, this church, is that messenger. All the spiritual world is watching to see how this church could respond as an instrument of God. And this is all in accordance with the eternal purpose that he has carried out in the life and the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are grateful that we could be part of that plan. I'd ask that we could, we could be part of that in boldness and in confidence that we might live in faith in areas of our, of our lives that we former lived in fear. God, I pray that you would bless this church, bless her indeed, that we might be the hand that you choose to use to bless others. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.